0: Well, thank you all so much for having me here. It really is a great honor and privilege um, to be among so many people that I first met whenever I came to the Reformed faith. Just a few years uh, from being a Christian when I was 18 or 19 years old, probably came to Center Grove when I was 22 or so, and uh, people in this room are the ones that brought me uh, along. So thank you so very much, and it's my honor to be here. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, in your copy of the Scriptures to Psalm 146. We'll take a look at Psalm 146 today. Psalm 146, hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Praise the Lord... Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Scripture says of itself that the Word of our God stands forever. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Our God, as we come to Your Word, we ask for Your Spirit to be present here with us in a special way that You would open our eyes and ears and soften hearts May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I was browsing online and I came across an article on Reader's Digest Online. Yes, apparently Reader's Digest is still in existence. I just remember that magazine rack next to the, next to the toilet in my grandma's bathroom that had, you know, Reader's Digest, right? But Reader's Digest Online had an article that was titled, Extraordinary Stories That Show the Power of Trust. And one of these stories was of a woman who had a premature baby. He was born like five weeks premature. He, she noticed some blood in his diaper. She brings him into the pediatrician. And the pediatrician's like, well, it's probably for this reason and that. It's probably okay. But she didn't trust that pediatrician. So she took him to another doctor. She says, I decided to trust another doctor and we discovered that my son had a very serious intestinal illness common in premature infants that can sometimes be fatal. and so through you know he had to go in for treatment that very next day treated for 14 days today my son is 13 years old and she is thankful to the trust in a fantastic team of doctors that's the word she used thanks to my trust in a fantastic team of doctors this woman is praising this doctor and this staff of doctors who rightly diagnosed and treated her son. Uh, She's praising them because they were trustworthy. And what I want to do is argue here from the lesser to the greater. I mean, you might have similar thoughts and stories of people in your life that you, they really came through. You put your trust in them. They came through and you'll never forget it. And you, in a right sense, praise them for it. And what I want you to see as we move through this text today, this passage of Scripture, is that God is praiseworthy because He is trustworthy. And so that's your sermon in a sentence here today. God is praiseworthy because He is trustworthy. The first thing that the psalmist does in Psalm 146 is exhort or call or command uh, the people of God who are listening to praise in verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, I will praise The Lord, as long as I live, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Praise and singing praise. There are two different Hebrew words. One is to recognize God for who He is and what He has done. To praise Him in that sense. And then to sing praises is another word, but it's, you know, recognizing Him for what He's done results in the bursting forth of sound and song from our mouths where we sing praise to God. In Psalm, in the end of the book of Psalms here, from Psalm 146 to 150, that word praise or sing praise is used somewhere in the neighborhood of 41 times out of 59 verses. So the word praise or sing praise, out of the 59 verses, I am a theologian, not a mathematician. This math is uh, rough, okay? So out of 59-ish verses... Over 40 of them say praise or sing praise. That doesn't count extol. That doesn't count all the other language of uplifting. So you see, even though the Psalms were not, you know, they're not in our Bible in chronological order, you can see at the end of the book of Psalms, it is coming to this climactic, uh you know, at the end of a piece of music. Sing, praise, 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 praise to God. And Psalm 146 sort of begins that, ramp up into the end, uh, into 150, where we started our call to worship with. And listen, not just what we do in recognizing God for who He is and what He's done, but the duration. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being, for as long as I live. Uh, This past Friday was Veterans Day, and um, I came across Different story, a chaplain, you know, I'm a chaplain in the Army National Guard, so chaplain's stories always strike a little special for me, but a Vietnam Army chaplain, a chaplain Charles Waters, he's a chaplain in Vietnam in 1967, and this is, you know, an excerpt from his Medal of Honor citation. So Medal of Honor citations are very long and robust, or they can be. Uh, These are just some pieces of it. When a wounded paratrooper was standing in shock in front of the assaulting forces, Chaplain Waters ran forward, picked the man up on his shoulders, and carried him to safety. As the troopers battled to the first entrenchment, Chaplain Waters ran through the intense enemy fire to the front of the entrenchment to aid a fallen comrade. Sometime later, the paratroopers pulled back, and you can kind of get a sense when you read the citation how the battle went, you know, as they pull back and pull back. So as the uh, troopers pull back, Chaplain Waters exposes himself, exposed himself to both friendly and enemy fire between the two forces in order to recover two wounded soldiers. Later, when the battalion was forced to pull back to another perimeter, Chaplain Waters noticed that several wounded soldiers were laying outside the newly formed perimeter. And I love this, without hesitation and ignoring attempts to restrain him. Chaplain Waters left the perimeter three times in the face of small arms, automatic weapons, and mortar fire to carry and assist the injured troopers to safety. Satisfied that all the wounded were inside the perimeter, he began to aid medics, giving spiritual and mental strength and comfort. It was during this time when he was mortally wounded. Now, those men that Chaplain Waters carried to safety and saved in Vietnam, you could be absolutely certain that they would wake up. Every single day, and remember, I'm alive because Chaplain Waters carried me out. In a sense, thank you, Chaplain Waters. We are alive, and every day we should wake up and say, I am alive because Jesus, you carried me to safety. You rescued me. Thank you, Jesus. Praise Him. Praise the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, He's the real war hero, isn't He? That all other war heroes are simply just a glimpse or a a picture of. Because the war wasn't between man and man. It was between God and man. And you know who's on the losing side of that battle, right? And Jesus Himself goes out when God's sight was trained on you. He's the one that bears the bullet of the wrath of God, and carries you, as it were, to safety, to refuge. It's an imperfect analogy, but you get at what I'm trying to communicate. I think that because Jesus rescued you, we praise Him as long as we live because He saved us. How much more so do we praise and thank our God who rescued us from the wrath of God, Uh, even more so as we see other men and women who do great heroic, praiseworthy acts. But they are all praiseworthy because in some sense they are a reflection of the greatest, most praiseworthy, self-sacrificial act of Jesus Christ, right? Well, as the psalmist has exhorted us to praise and the duration of our praise to be as long as we live, he turns to the concept of trust and he starts with a negative. Here is who not to trust. Verse 3: Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So the psalmist says: Don't trust in a man, because number one, there's no salvation in him, in whom there is no salvation. Number two, because his plans are temporary. When His breath departs, his, on that very day, His plans perish as He returns to the earth. And it's here where I think the psalmist is being a little bit intentionally messianic, but in the negative. You know, don't put your trust in a Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. The Son of Man, capital T, Jesus is a Son in whom there is salvation. The, 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 the earthly Son of Man... When he dies, his breath departs and his plans perish. But actually, when Jesus Christ died, it was a plan accomplished. And his breath didn't stay departed, right? It entered back into him as he was risen from the dead. So don't put your trust in this earthly son of man. Put your trust in the Messiah, that son of God and son of man. He rose and his plan was completed. But our temptation to put our trust in another individual is not always so bold-faced. It's not as if someone comes onto the scene and says, "Um, I am going to try to uh, withdraw your gaze from God and and for you to put your trust in me in an anti-Christian manner. People don't say that, right? So how does it happen? Well, if you remember... Uh, the book or the movie, I was introduced to the movie first because I was a cartoon kid, The Jungle Book, and didn't actually know until later on in life that The Jungle Book was written by Rudyard Kipling in the late 1800s, and it tells the story of a boy in the Indian jungle named Mowgli, and he was raised by wolves, and Mowgli doesn't want to leave the jungle. That's, he wants to stay. And in the story, you know, Mowgli encounters several animals that he speaks with. It's a work of fiction, obviously. Uh, So he encounters these animals that he's speaking with, and one of them is Ka, this giant python. And Ka says, well, first of all, Mowgli knows that Ka is trying to hypnotize him because he's tried to do it before. And so Mowgli is trying to hide his eyes so Ka can't look at him. And Ka says, I can ensure that you never have to leave this jungle. And then Mowgli drops his defense. Oh, really? And then Ka has him. You see, what he's done is put something forward that Mowgli wants. And that's what the enemy will do to divert our trust into somebody else. It's not as if someone is saying, you know, again, I want to divert your trust from God, but the enemy will use something that they say… Something that you might really want. I you're like, man, if, if He can give me that, yeah, I do have a diversion of my trust in Him. And your loved one, your loved one isn't saying, um, I want to divert your consolation and your comfort from God to be more in me. But the enemy will use your relationships with your loved ones that are good, but then twist them know, Mowgli says, I, or excuse me, Ka says, I can ensure you never have to leave this jungle. How? Because I'm going to eat you. You'll be in my belly. <laughs> You'll stay in the jungle in that way, right? There's truth, but it's a twisted end. And so we have to be careful in who is putting something before us, in what manner are they doing it? You know, how are they doing it? Uh, is it delivering to us godliness? Or is it delivering over to us an aspect of giving in to a temptation that we always have, an and, and idol, whatever that might be. And the other thing that we see here is, again, this theme of duration. I will sing my praises to God as long as I live, and the Son of Man, His breath departs, His plans perish, His plans are temporary. This, this theme of duration occurs throughout. It's, it's, again, in verse 6 and 10 when speaking about God. And that reminds us of another thing, not just that we shouldn't trust in a man whose plans are temporary, but that your breath will depart. Your plans are temporary. And you might have been sitting in these chairs, I mean, not these, obviously, we're, we're newly in this building, right? but you might have been sitting in a church for a very long time, sitting under the preaching of God's Word. And, you know, the enemy... Would love nothing more than for you to believe the lie. This Christianity stuff. Ah, pahooey. I have time. I don't need to worry about this right now. It's a bunch of baloney, especially for you little children. Ah, this is what my parents do. They make me go. You don't know how long you have. Your plans are temporary. Your breath will depart. The scripture says it. John Owen said this very, very, I find, powerful statement. Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time to consider their eternal welfare before they die. Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time before they die to consider their eternal welfare. Well, You've got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. That is the lie. Our plans are temporary. We don't know how long we have, and our breath departs. So we're called to look to Christ immediately, today, now, continually. Well, After saying, this is why you don't put your trust in man, the psalmist then turns to, this is why you can put your trust in God. Here are the grounds for trusting and therefore praising God. One of the grounds for trusting and praising God is that He's the Creator, Who made, verse 6, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, verse 5, whose hope is the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He is the creator, that he spoke them into existence. He created the universe. He created the plan of redemption. And who would you trust more with something than a creator or an author? My son, Leif, I do say Leif when he's in trouble. Uh So I say life a lot. Uh, but he brought me a picture one day. He said, Daddy, here's a f- look, Daddy, I drew a big fish. And I'm looking at these lines, and I'm like, okay, son, I believe you. Just because you said it, not because I can see it. You know, who would you trust to create a picture or a painting? Me or my three-year-old? Or would you trust a Rembrandt. You would trust the Rembrandt, right? He knows what he's doing. He's an expert at it. Who would you trust to create and manage the plan for your life more than the creator himself, who is an expert at it? We have grounds for trusting and praising God because He actually spoke all of this matter into existence. He knows our frame inside and out, our minds and our hearts inside and out. He created them. He ordains all the things that are taking place. So He is the one that we can trust because He is the creator. The other thing, or the other ground for trusting and praising God is His longevity of faithfulness again this theme of duration praise god as long as i live man's plans are temporary god keeps faithfulness forever who keep the latter half of verse 6 who keeps faith forever god has a longevity of faithfulness you know you drive down the road and we see signs that say you know in business, since, in business for 60 years, or um, doing business since 1975, or established in 1894, whatever it is, businesses want to display how long they've been in existence. You know, the Remington, Remington Ammunition Company has been in business since 1816, and I looked up what the oldest, uh, longest-standing business in the world is currently today. It's a Japanese construction company. This Japanese construction company is the Kongo Gumi Corporation. And they've been in the construction business since 578. Got some experience, right? They've been in business doing construction for a long time. God has the experience. He's been in the business of fixing Broken people, of saving people from creation 6,000 roughly years ago, and has the experience of eternity past. That's the experience that we trust. Been in business of fixing our broken, messed upness for a really long time, right? Then the psalmist gives examples of his faithful deliverance, of his longevity of faithfulness. Verses 7 to 9, "...who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin." setting the prisoner free, opening the eyes of the blind. Who does that sound like? Who does it sound like? Jesus. I heard Jesus out there. Yes, that's right, Sunday school, God, Jesus, Bible, right? Yes, Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, set the prisoner free. Actually, you know, this isn't the only place in Scripture where this type of language appears. It's reflected or mirrored in Isaiah as well. And Jesus is there in Luke, opens the scroll of Isaiah, and is reading this kind of language. I am here, you know, to set the prisoner free, to open the eyes of the blind. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And actually, <laughs> Jesus doesn't read from Psalm 146, but He gives examples from Psalm 146. Um, it's as if he's drawing his hearers, not only to Isaiah and the language of it, but I think also to the song of Psalm 146, whatever it was titled at that point, probably not 146, but to this song. When Jesus says in Luke, he says basically in, in, in Luke 4, in uh, verse 9, he essentially says, look, he's talking to you know, the Jewish leaders. He's, look, there were lots of widows in Elijah's day, But Elijah was sent to a widow outside of Israel to Sidon. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. In verse 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. In in Luke, when Jesus is reading and when Jesus is speaking, he says, look, there's lots of lepers that were around in Elisha's day, but Elisha cleansed Naaman the Syrian, a non-Israelite. And as he's mentioning these things about foreigners, about widows and sojourners, I wonder if, and you ever have this experience where someone says a phrase that is in a piece of music and it just, the song starts playing in your head and you can't get it out? I almost wonder if, as Jesus is speaking about Isaiah and elements of Psalm 146, his hearers are remembering. Now these are the lyrics to a song that we sing. It's a song about Yahweh. That's what the capital L-O-R-D is there in all of verses 7b through 9. Yahweh sets the prisoner free. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Oh, and Jesus is saying today this, has been, this reading has been fulfilled in your hearing, that this is you? Oh, no, 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 no. So there in Luke 4, they push him out seek to drive him off of a cliff. Uh, they rose up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. They do exactly what the psalmist says not to do. But they trust in themselves and someone else and try to drive away the Son of Man, the Son of God. But one of the final reasons that this psalmist gives that we can trust and praise God is His longevity of rule. He's got the experience of being the creator. He's got a longevity of faithfulness. The psalmist gives the examples of his faithfulness. And the psalmist then says he's got a longevity of rule. Verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. When I thought about reigning forever, a song came to my head. Um, Lots of song examples in this sermon, something about singing and being in the book of songs, I guess. But I thought about the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. And you've probably all heard an element of that chorus, you know, and He shall reign forever and ever. And then other parts come in, and ever and ever. King of kings, and ever, and ever. And Handel is laying over top of uh, the different elements in the chorus what reigning forever could sound like. I mean, how can it be communicated? And Handel gets at this in that hallelujah chorus. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the rolling thunder that that chorus gives... And it sounds like an eternal reign. And that is what the psalmist is trying to get across here. The Lord will reign forever. He has a longevity of rule and reign. Again, you know, businesses, whenever you drive by a business and it says, under new management, what do you think? They're admitting, we weren't so good. We got new managers, or a new manager. Give us another try. That's what that sign says to me. Under new management, God is never handing over management. He is always ruling and managing. And what do you do whenever you need something? What do you do whenever something happens in a in a place of business where you're doing business, a transaction, and something goes wrong? Could I speak to the manager? God is the one in charge who is ruling that you can go to with anything. All of our pleas, all of our failures, all of our sin, we bring it before Him because He is the manager who never gives up management and who can always fix the problem. Because that's what you want the manager to do, right? Can you fix this thing that went wrong? Now, God might not fix it, in the way that you think He should, in the time that you think He should, and He might actually intentionally be allowing things to go haywire in your life to train and teach you. But we can trust Him because He has been in charge forever. He's ruling and reigning forever, even right now. You know, I'm extremely excited to hear that you have a pastoral candidate coming in next week. That's awesome. But pastors will always come and go. I mean, even if a pastor is at a church for his entire life, his breath will depart, right? And in that sense, his plans are temporary. And so, never let your gaze be directed to any. Under shepherd, but rather to the capital letters good shepherd who is Jesus. And yes, you know, whatever man is called into this pulpit uh, for the next season of this church's life, I'm confident that God, you know, God will call them, He will use them, uh, they will be His instrument. But that man will direct and should direct your gaze to the good shepherd because. Even us pastors, our plans are temporary and our breath departs. And the Lord brings changes into people's lives, doesn't He? And so, where is someone drawing your eyes? Is there anywhere, anything in your life, anyone that might be diverting your gaze that the compassion that you have for them is a little bit more than you actually have for God? That the desire to please them is more than you have for God? to please God, that you really seek solace and comfort and, oh man, I, whenever I get home, when I can just talk to this person, whenever I can just consume this substance, that diversion of your trust and solace goes into that person or that thing, which might be good and have their proper place in our lives, but they're not in the place of God Himself. He's the one we trust. He's the one who's praiseworthy because He has His grip on us. And as we wrap this up, I came across an anecdote, probably a fictional, probably a fictional uh, correspondence between dad and daughter. But a dad and daughter are crossing a bridge, dad and his little girl, and he says, hold my hand so you don't fall in. Maybe a bridge without a railing. She says, no, daddy, you hold my hand. And he's like, well, what do you mean? What's the difference? Well, Daddy, if I hold your hand and something happens, I might let go. But if you hold my hand, I know that no matter what happens, I won't fall in. And that's how it is with God and us. It's not because of our great faith, not because of our great grasp Upon God himself, but our little faith in a big God because he has his grip on us. A longevity of faithfulness, trust, and rule, and experience. That's our God. And so we praise him because we trust him. Let's pray. Our God, we do thank you that you are trustworthy. And because we trust you, we can praise you We can lift up Your name higher and greater than every other name because of the salvation that You have brought to pass in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that by His blood we have redemption and forgiveness from our sins. Lord, we pray that You would be at work in hearts and minds here, that You would be drawing people to Yourself, taking away their trust in a man or a woman or any other thing, that they would place their trust evermore in You, whether it's for the first time or for the many, many hundred thousand millionth time in our lives. Oh Lord, help us to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.